Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. If someone's saying you have to stay in this room, you can't leave till it's break time. You can't be on your phone. You can't eat when you need to. I'd be like, fuck you, I'm my own person. I'm not doing this. That's me now, right? Like, I would never, ever put myself through that again. But I've been on the other side as a coach where I'm leading a five-day and someone's like, you know, an hour into a two-hour class, I really need to eat because I'm hypoglycemic. And I'm like, do you really though? Or is it because we're talking about money? (laughs) You know, like I was that person to be like, don't leave because you're just stuffing your issues down with, with food. If you're in a group and you're not sure if it's a cult and you're having red flags, those are all things. Controlling your food, controlling the environment, controlling when you leave, controlling when you sleep, controlling your behavior, and also making you feel shitty if you don't follow along like everybody else. That's making you a sheep. That's a problem. This week on the podcast, we're airing a special four-part series on the cult of personal development. So many of us pick up books and go to seminars in the hopes of improving our lives. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it can be when we're not aware of how it can actually lead to a lot of bad things when we let charismatic leaders take advantage of us and manipulate us. So we decided to bring in former cult members to dissect this process and explain how this actually happens so that you can avoid it. So one thing I've realized after so many years of hosting this show is that you hear my voice every week, but I don't hear yours. And I'd really like to hear from you. For this episode, I'm excited to start something totally new called an airspace. An airspace is an audio group chat hosted by me and Sarah, where you can send us an audio message. And when we reply, it'll show up in the main thread. I'll be using airspace for the next few days to talk more with Sarah about her time as part of Nixium and also answer your questions about this episode. Click on the first link in the description to send me your questions now and view the conversation so far. And when we answer, you'll actually get an email letting you know. You can also be part of the airspace by going to unmistakablecreative.com slash participate. Sarah, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So you're here because I found out about your work via way of the Nexium documentary, and I'm putting together this series on the cult of personal development. And I thought, you know, you absolutely had to be part of this given your story and uh, everything that you've been through. But before we get into all of that, um, I want to start by asking you a question that I think is very relevant, given that I've read the book. And that is, what did your parents do for work? And how did that end up influencing the choices that you've made throughout your life and your career? Great question. And yes, very relevant. My mom is currently a family therapist and my dad, uh, well, just recently retired, but has been a school counselor my whole life. Both of them have been very politically and socially active since I was born. And um, I think the the fact that, you know, the counseling and the therapy, that was just a backdrop to how I was raised. We talked a lot about feelings we communicated well. Um, I did various forms of therapy ever since I was little. They divorced when I was quite young. And I've always, so I've been very open to that. Like that's, you know, someone saying they see a therapist is not like taboo to me in any way. And also um, they very much encouraged me to do personal development um, and to, you know, to be on the path of self-betterment, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah. How old were you when your parents started exposing you to this kind of material? And how did your understanding of that material change with age? Sure. I was two and a half when they split up. And I think they put me into like a play-based therapy, 
when I was very young, like three, four, I'd have, to, I'd have to ask them. I actually don't know the exact age, but that was more for processing, um, you know, the sort of challenges that go along with your parents um, splitting up when you're little. And then there was various sort of like family-based therapy when my dad remarried when I was nine. So like speaking, you know, getting outside help for your personal life or your emotions was always there. Um, and then, and then more so, I guess, like reading books, I think that might've been more my own journey, uh, with books like the artist's way or the Celestine prophecy in the nineties, um, power of now eventually with Eckhart Tolle, you know, things like that, that was just part of, um, the, I'd say more the backdrop of my circle of friends more so than my parents. But introspection and understanding oneself, self-awareness was just always something that we all did. Yeah. Having uh, a parent who's a therapist, this is something I've always asked people who have either parents or a therapist or are exposed to a lot of this information at an early age. You'd think that that would make you immune to the bullshit that most of us end up in therapy for. You'd think that, uh, possibly. But I think, if anything, for, for me, like, and obviously I had to do a lot of post-cult introspection to figure out how I got into this mess. I think part of it for me was that when I discovered Nexium, I was searching. I was actively looking for a tool set or a way of being or, uh, you know, a belief system. I wasn't particularly religious. Um, and I, I was also looking for community and I was also looking for meaning. And I think that if anything in addition to those things in terms of my parents, it was more of like my own individuation. Like there's therapy and then Nexium was actually against therapy. They were saying that therapy doesn't do anything. Uh, I mean, it, it can, but it's very slow. And what Nexium was offering was basically like a fast track and saying, you know, Nexium is a lot of talking. Sorry, therapy is, a, is very talk-based. You're talking around the issues, but you're not necessarily getting to the issues. And what they were offering was actually getting to the core root problems that, you know, people go to therapy for, but resolving it very, very quickly. So in many ways, it was sort of like my own path. Like, I'm not doing what you're doing. I'm doing my own thing and it's better. So it was almost yeah. like a stubborn kind of individuation, which happens at that age. You know, it happens when you're two, it happens when you're a teenager. It also happens when you're like becoming a real adult. And um, for me, it was more about that. Is that sort of like it set the stage for being open to personal development, but also uh, my own defiance again, because they weren't supportive of me doing it, by the way. Mm. Like they, were, they, they saw red flags from the beginning, yeah. especially with the cost. So one of the things that I think has been a bizarre paradox of my own experience with personal development is that you seek all these solutions externally. And yet, I think at the core of it all, you've come to this realization that you can't solve internal problems with external solutions. So why do you think it is that people are so drawn towards seeking solutions to their problems externally through organizations like Nexium, you know, going to seminars. I mean, like we talked about before, I've been through my fair share of this stuff like Landmark mm -hmm. Forum. And um, I think what, you know, piqued my interest so much was that I just felt like the Nexium story was an <clears throat> extreme version of something that's happening in damn near every part of personal development. Oh, yeah. I mean, when we were in it, we even thought we used to say that Landmark was the McDonald's of personal development. And we had the we had the we, we had the gourmet version. Um, we really thought they were so much better. But and truthfully, we had actually a lot of students who'd done both. And they would uh -huh. they would say that it was very similar in format and also in sort of terminology. What I now know is a term in, in cult recovery called loaded language, mm -hmm. the language to, to help you feel special and part of this, you know, little group that was doing something different. Um, by the way, we are going to, our, our podcast, a little bit culty, we're going to do an episode on, on landmark, <clears throat> looking at the parallels, um, a separate story. Um, what was, sorry, what was your question? I diverted. I guess, oh. you know, why people are so why? drawn to looking for something external to solve these internal issues. I think, it's, you know, a bit of a case by case basis. Different people are looking for different things. Um, like, you know, why I got into Nexium is very different than why my husband got into Nexium, for example. But I think in general, people are, are drawn to personal development, especially right now. Um, although 
cult education is becoming more popular. So I think people are becoming more skeptical, but especially in like the late 80s, 90s with um, human potential, the human potential movement, and then large group awareness trainings like Nexium and Landmark, people are part of a certain zeitgeist where there's this belief that we sh- we can be better or that we should be better into, you know, hashtag live your best life. And now like hashtag boss babe and all this crap where people are um, thinking that things are going to be better once they've reached a certain level of whether it's personal success or self-awareness or enlightenment. And that's sort of dangled like this. You're never enough is sort of the the baseline underneath that. And that's also the the baseline that um, the advertising agencies and, you know, marketing and selling us things that we think we need is all part of that as well. You know, yeah. get on the, on the hamster wheel to go, 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 improve, 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 et cetera. That's part of it. What were you going to say? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I like that's this is funny because I've been writing a new book about this uh, a book that I plan to self-publish. But I said, if you go into the self-help section of the bookstore, the sort of underlying premise is there's something wrong with you and my book is the way to fix it. And mm-hmm. literally the entire store, it's like make more money, mm-hmm. you know, implies that you're not making enough. Have better sex means you're not having good enough sex. Like every one of those books is basically saying something must be wrong with you, I feel like. Right. And that's actually... I don't want to give it anything away with the ending of my book, but you, as you probably got to, I, as I said at the end, is like you, you're not broken. Nothing needs to be fixed. It, you know, it's it's okay if you want to improve certain things and learn a new language and like, oh, maybe you don't want to get so angry all the time and you might want to look at that or whatever. Like, there's things you can change about yourself, but you don't have to feel so shitty about yourself underneath it all. Mm-hmm. Is so yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, as far as career trajectory, I mean, I know you're you're an actress by profession. What was happening in your life when you joined Nexium? There was a number of factors at play. Like I said earlier, I have had to really look at this because I wanted to understand. And this is a term that I've learned from um, a researcher and cult expert named Matthew Remsky, who does the Conspirituality mm-hmm. podcast. You're familiar with his work, right? Yeah. Or no? Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. He's awesome, and he calls it the social determinants that were at play. And I really like that because other people have asked, like, what made you so vulnerable and how'd you get sucked in and like, how'd you miss it? And, and all those questions are valid, but I like social determinants because it, it implies that like, you know, there were things that were going on for me emotionally and there were things that were going on in my life and the age that I was at that, uh, you know, playing into the, what, what some may call my vulnerabilities, which is fine. Um, but I, I was living with my boyfriend at the time. It was, uh, you know, my relationship was at a stage where it was like, are we, you know, we're we going to get married. Or are we going to, you know, move on? It's sort of like, you know, general eh, blahness in the relationship. And then um, in addition, I was at a stage in my career where, you know, technically I was a working actor, but not enough to make me feel like I was successful or satisfied in it by any means. And, uh, you know, living in the, proverbial metaphorical legitimate basement suite <laughs> where, you know, it's just, I, I was not where I thought I would be at the age of 27. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, unsatisfied with my life. Also with acting, I found at that time there was a real lack of community not a, or not a supportive community, something that I was really wanting. And it also, so my boyfriend at the time uh, was a filmmaker and he made this film they got into a festival where we met the director of What the Bleep Do We Know, which was a film that we both liked at that at that time, uh, which was really about you know quantum physics and creating own reality. And everyone it was this was like at that time it was the t- highest grossing documentary, and everyone was just gushing over it. So when we met Mark uh, Vicente, the director, and he, you know he's the one who told us about Nexium, it seemed very much in alignment with what we were looking for. And also I was very much a believer in setting intentions and I'd set this intention to figure out my purpose. And then I met Mark. So I was going along with the signs of the universe. So that's, that tells you a bit about where I was at at the time. Yeah. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, so so for people who have these social determinants that make them think, okay, now I need to go, you know, do this, like go to Landmark, whatever it is. Uh, what are the red flags of social determinants when you reflect back on this that would prevent people from finding themselves in a situation like the one you ended up in? Sure. Um, great question. I think crossroads, you know, when people are in transition between different uh, areas in their life, career-wise or relationship-wise, and there's that sort of lost or empty feeling. Uh, and I truly do believe that everyone is susceptible to being conned, whether it's in the, in, you know, in a relationship that's not legitimate or in, you know, a cult or anything like this, where, where you're at the right place at the right time, you meet the right person who you trust. So I think for me, the red flags that I point back to is, is just, you know, that age in your mid twenties when you're looking for more looking for more meaning, community, all of those things. Um, and also, you know, when in terms of meeting Mark and the social determinant of um, wanting to to go further in my career, and here is somebody who was shifting consciousness with media, which is what I wanted. So when you when somebody offers you your dream and dangles it in front of you, and and not Mark didn't know, like Mark didn't know what Nexium really was. So I, I don't. That, that's not to say he was doing that manipulatively. That's just how it worked with Nexium and a lot of cults is they're offering you the world. And that is something that I think is really dangerous when someone's presenting everything you've ever wanted to do on a silver platter. Um, that's a bit of a, it's a big red flag, actually. Uh, well, I mean, that's the entire personal development industry, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, no, I mean, it's Everybody true. from Tony Robbins to, to Landmark is basically like, hey, this is it. This is the, the solution to everything you've ever wanted. 
Which is a big red flag. If somebody, if somebody says that they have the solution to everything and they have the way and the path, mm-hmm. by the way, which is a great TV show about a cult, the path. Okay. Um, <laughs> I highly recommend it. It's, you know, that's a red flag. There's no one way for anything, in my opinion, now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So early uh, on in the book, um, you know, one of the things you open it by saying is for years, the Nexium coaches who I worked with encouraged me to make an effort to overcome what they call my control issues. And one of the things you said is that this obedience is not surprising for years. They've coached us that if we feel the urge to bolt, as they've always called it, that's our evidence the program is working. We've been trained to ignore our discomfort. And I, I know it's too late when they call me for my turn. And you know, when I read that, as I'm talking to you about it, it just reminds me of those moments in the landmark forum where the you know forum leader will pretty much just grill people in front of the room. I, and I I remember our landmark forum. A woman actually left. She like left in tears and you know just yelled at the instructor. And yet, to your point, the idea that you know you'll leave is this idea that oh you're not you know evolved enough. So how yeah, in you're the not, you're not does, facing? Does that, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, how in the yeah. world does that happen? Like you feel so uncomfortable with this and yet you convince yourself that, wait a minute, I need to stay because this is proof that it's working. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's the same in Landmark and from, from what I've heard. So right at the beginning, your very first five day, they set you up with, and, and I've since learned this, um, that this is part of the setup that Keith taught us. It's the same thing with sales. You have to take people on gentle, what he called lifts. Like if you imagine the stairs, you don't just take them one right to the top. You got to go out stair by stair by stair. And the first stair is, would you agree that every successful person needs to look at areas where they're not successful to be the most successful? And everybody says, yeah, of course. Like there's always areas. Okay. So when you hit one of those areas, would you agree that's uncomfortable to look at those things? Yes, I agree to that. Okay. So when you are sitting here in this room and we're just talking we're just talking about things and you're hitting in an area of discomfort. That's an area that you need to look at for growth. Everybody agrees. And they say, okay, so when you're sitting here, you're going to feel, we're going to talk about things and you're going to feel uncomfortable and you'll have the urge to bolt. And we're just asking you to stick it through. You paid good money. You paid two, $3,000 to be here. Will you sit, sit it through or talk to a coach if you have the urge to leave? You know? And mm-hmm. so we, we agree to that. So, and as the curriculum goes goes on and as you are presented with more and more curriculum, you're also presented with things that inherently will make you uncomfortable depending on what your background is or they would say what your issues are. Like, for example, we would have people who had been in another group or like had been raised a Jehovah's Witness or a Scientologist or extreme fundamental whatever. And so they already have that in their in their wiring, right? So when they when they saw certain things like, you know, bowing to Vanguard or having to wear a sash that denotes your rank, they would be internally, can I swear in this? Mm-hmm. They'd be like, well, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. I've been through this before. I'm out of here. I didn't have that. I wasn't raised in any of those things. Only new thing I knew about cults was like heaven, not even Heaven's Gate. I, I think like Jim Jones and the people who drank the Kool-Aid and Diana. Like I didn't, I didn't have any knowledge about how cults worked at that time. Yeah. So when I feel uncomfortable, okay, wait, we're calling somebody Vanguard? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm uncomfortable, but I don't want to leave because I'm a, I want to be successful and I want to overcome my challenges. And very quickly on in the very first module or, or in the very first day, they're talking about oh, people who can't pay tribute to what other people have built is means that they're suppressive. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be suppressive. That's the worst thing. <laughs> so... As I'm going about to raise my hand to say, hey, I'm uncomfortable with calling this guy I've never met Vanguard and bowing to him when I enter the room. That's weird. I just suppress that a little bit, keep it inside and go, okay, I'll I'll get through day three and just like, you know, they've asked me to take my shoes off at the door. I'll take my shoes off at the door. Does that make sense? Mm Yeah, well, I remember you say, uh, you know, later on in the book, in the first module called Rules and Rituals, I found that I was constantly talking myself into overlooking the inescapable weirdness of the organization. Yes. And Uh, yeah, yeah, please go on. I was just gonna say, so a lot of people who, like, there's some people that got brought in, maybe by someone they didn't know as well. And, and, and if they had that template of previous um, experience with another abusive, abusive power or 
person or organization or religion, they would get those red flags much more strongly and then just leave mm. on day one. And we, we said to people, if this is not for you, um, and, and also like the, the, the tacit implication is if you're not strong enough to work on these issues, yeah. which is a, a double bind, right? So you're, you're either, if you leave, and I bet if anyone in that room in Landmark or that person, you know, yelled at the teacher and ran out, maybe part of them was like, well, good for her for standing up to the teacher. But part of them's like, well, she's never going to work through that issue. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's that, um, internal challenge. You're, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, if you stay. And part of the reason why I stayed is because I trusted Mark. And he said, the first few days are weird. Stick it out till day three, mm-hmm. which I did. And yeah. by day three, I was hooked. And now I understand you can fully indoctrinate someone into a belief system, uh, within three days. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> well, talking about that, that first experience, like when you come across somebody like a Keith Raniere for the first time, because the thing that I, you know, I took from watching that documentary and I, I kind of started to see this pattern across every personal development leader is that these people are incredibly charismatic. Like they mm-hmm. don't seem type the type, like the types of people who don't have your best interests at heart. In fact, it seems like they're there to like change your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually, I didn't meet Keith right away. Like I, by the time I met him, I'd already done a bunch of curriculum and I had a huge amount of respect for him because also I've been thanking him and bowing to him every day, <laughs> you know? So I, he'd been pumped up to a level that, you know, he'd been put on a pedestal. Um, but, and also like, so everyone around him speaking so highly of him and that he's this this genius and this humanitarian and this most noble man. I mean, these things that make me so cringy now that we know who he really is. But I also found him when I met him, I was sort of unimpressed by him. I was like, he's just very normal. Uh, he definitely mastered in the time that I knew him 12 years. He, he went from being pretty schlubby to being more put together and um, presentable. <laughs> I think they had to clean him up at some point. <laughs> if you look at the early footage, he looks like an unwashed Jesus wannabe. Yeah. How does somebody go about creating an image like that of, you know, charisma? From what I understand, I mean, all of almost all of these accomplishments were basically just made up. Um, a lot of this stuff turned out not to be true. But how is it that somebody can convince so many people of so much that isn't true? It's a great question. I think people rely on other people. Like Keith really relied on what we call the Greek chorus around him to prop him up. And I think what he did do really well was steal from a lot of different modalities and create something that did provide a lot of value to people on the outside. You know, if you take the best of all of these things that we're talking about and you, you know, study Tony Robbins and you study uh, landmark or Scientology, all of those things have good things in them that people are drawn to and help them in their lives, right? Yeah. And if you package it up together and you give it to them, like, I've got to tell you, there, there's so many people who've reached out to me since this all fell apart and they're like, hey, don't feel bad. I did the five day, I got a lot out of it. So don't, like, mm-hmm. don't stress about me. And I'm like, thank goodness, because of course I feel bad. I brought, you know, I was such an advocate of this, of this curriculum. So yeah. there's there's a lot of people who got a lot out of it. And so he was good at creating something that people found really valuable. And I think, like you said at the very beginning of the conversation, there's, you know, people get a huge high or a huge hit about, you know, from being a part of something like this. And then in many ways, they're just looking for more. They're always looking for more and like, you know, um, what's that term? Chasing the dragon. Mm, <laughs> that, yeah. for, that, so he he created this this community where people are like high off of what we called integrations or having an awareness. It's the same. Aha. That's why my life isn't working because X, Y, Z. And you, you're, you just get kind of hooked on that feeling. Well, so one thing we, you know, my, my roommate and I were wondering about this when we were watching the documentary, because we joked, we said, you know, effectively what we're doing, even when we're trying to build an audience for our work is building a cult of sorts. Uh, and I think we all are to some degree. I said, if you want to build an audience for your work, go study cult leaders. There's a lot to learn from them. But one of the things I wonder is, do these people start out with the intention of creating that right from the get-go? Or is it that the power and uh, sort of fame and, and you know, 
uh, worship that they get from all people in their lives starts to basically, you know, change who they are and what they want. Like, did Keith start out with the intention of creating what he did, do you think? I think that not all cult leaders are the same, but with Keith, I believe 100% he created Nexium with the intent to abuse. Yes. And I think there's other people who have started out with the intent to help. Um, I do think that this is the case, for example, with Nancy. I don't think she was um, a sociopath to begin with, and I'm not even sure where she's at now, but I think she thought she was helping people and then got herself in so deep and then turned a, turned a blind eye to what was actually going on. Whereas I, I do believe Keith, from the beginning, set this up and... Uh, According to the research I've done, actually saw it at a uh, an ashram, which has also since been decided is also a cult, which is uh, Siddha wow. Yoga. Um, I talked about this in the episode in one of our last episodes. I'm a little bit culty that he specifically saw how the leader was adored, and you know the adulation that occurred there, and basically thought, "I want that," and figured out a way to create it, which is to provide a curriculum that would draw people in, and then he would use people's um, vulnerabilities and deepest, darkest secrets to essentially control them, coerce them and manipulate them to having, in his case, you know, a harem of women who would do whatever he wanted at any time. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, if somebody starts out with malicious intent like Keith did, how is it that he managed to package and sell this as the exact opposite of malicious intent? Uh, I think he had the the people around him on board with his humanitarian vision from the beginning. So he found women that he could control who had like a skill set to create curriculum. Like when he found Nancy, he'd been trying to do this for years. And what he did was he found Nancy who already had a background in, she was, um she taught in human potential and taught goal setting and was trained in neuro-linguistic programming, which is also what Tony Robbins uses a lot of. And so he took his ability to manipulate and his vision and her ability to create curriculum and content and a personal development program. So he's sort of the mastermind, but she's the, I don't know what you'd call that, the content creator. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. he couldn't do it on his own. He he needed her for validity, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. I mean, you say none of us knew that his teachings, which promised to make us leaders, were actually making us his followers, his disciples. He wanted us to worship him. None of us knew how Keith's machinations and manipulations would come to impact our lives, that we weren't learning from him as much as we were being indoctrinated and deceived, brainwashed by him. Yes. And what I wonder is how people recognize that that is happening uh, when they're studying with coaches, you know, personal development leaders, because I think the the thing that has troubled me so much as I've started to dig into this is just seeing how often people are convinced to make decisions that aren't in their best interest by spending money they don't have, by signing up for programs that put them into massive amounts of debt. And of course, mm-hmm. the person who creates the program basically is nowhere to be found when they can't pay their rent next month. Right. Yeah. And, and just... They just remind me of something I didn't answer from your last question and remind me if I, if I lose the thread or don't circle back, but you said something about like, you know, even for what you're doing, you need to create a group. You need to create followers. The thing, the what makes you not a cult is you're not, there's no deception. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the basis of what makes something a cult versus a group of people who are obsessed with the topic you know, like if there's, mm. and that's also what a little bit culty seeks to do is when does something go from a devotion to dysfunction? So, you know, there could be a bunch of people who are following you and think you're awesome. doesn't make you a cult leader. A, because you're not lying. B, you're not making them dependent on you. C, they can leave at any time. D, they can ask you questions. E, you're accountable to people. Cults don't have any of that. So I think the red flags that people need to look for is A, if they're signing up for something because they, and and I'm sure there's a lot of good groups and coaches and people out there that provide value. And, it, and, and truthfully, I don't like any of it because of my mm-hmm. experience, but I'm trying to be less skeptical. I do know that there are good intentioned, well-intentioned coaches, people, leaders, all that stuff. Leadership can exist without 
um, deception without, you know, culty behavior. Um, but I guess I would encourage people to a, you know, research properly if there's any allegations against a leader or a coach or a group or an organization where there's smoke, there is fire is one thing. And, and also how that organization or coach or whatever, let's just just say coach for the purpose of the conversation, you know, Mm -hmm. how that coach, um, deals with those allegations, you know, do they look into it or do they say, well, that person's just crazy. (laughs) If someone's just writing somebody off as crazy because then they have allegations against you, like that's a, that's a major red flag. Um, I would say if you feel pressured, if there's a time thing, like, you know, sign up within 48 hours yeah, and you'll get a discount. That's a problem. Um, what else to look for? Uh, yeah, if, if that person is put on a pedestal and everyone's worshiping them and nobody can question them, that's a huge problem. If you ask a question and you get it put back in your face, well, why are you even asking that? Like, why do you feel the need to ask that? what's going on for you that you're being so fearful? Like, no, no, I'm not being fearful. I'm asking you a question. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. the gaslighting is so rampant in these groups. <clears throat> so one thing I, I, I am curious about, so you mentioned that one of the things that is really easy to do is to indoctrinate somebody into a belief system within three days. And I remember seeing sort of the initial seminars thinking these aren't particularly nice rooms that you guys are in. They look like they're in cheap motels. But then you look at somebody like a Tony Robbins, where he puts you, you know, in this cold room under bright lights with loud music for 13 hours. And by the end of it, your sort of prefrontal cortex is shut off and you're no longer thinking logically. Um, What are what are the red flags there that people should be wary of when it comes to this? Because I I feel like what happens so often, and I've seen this uh, at places that I've been to, where by the end of this thing, you're in a peak emotional state. So then right when you're in a peak emotional state, somebody says, all right, it's time to sell you something. And this is one of the reasons we had no upsells at the one and only conference we had. I said, I've seen that happen so many times. I'm not willing to do that to people. Yeah. Um. All of those things you just mentioned, I think the the thing is, is that like, if you were to really want to evolve a bunch of stuff in your life and do a seminar and really like tackle your limitations, however you want to look at it, probably all those things would be helpful, like staying in a room and being focused and, you know, not leaving to go binge or not croissant. You know what I mean? Like that's, that is there's truth in that. Like there is truth in, you know, we as humans, when we're uncomfortable, we want to eat and sleep and have sex, right? Like we want to do the things that feel good, right? The problem is, is that I just don't know, like there's nobody that I personally would trust in the world right now to to go into a room and do that because I don't trust that somebody, like you said at the beginning, somebody outside of me is going to help me more than I can help myself because of what I've been through. Yeah. Does that make sense? So yeah, no, it makes total sense. Like in theory, all of those things, if like, let's see, if I could find, okay, my husband and I are in couples counseling. I totally trust him. I really like him. If he was like, look, we're, and I see him, we see him once every two, three weeks. If he was like, we're going to spend five days and we're just going to tackle a bunch of shit, you know, I would say, okay, I'm going to stay in this room for 10, 10 hours. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go and, you know, eat chocolate when I feel uncomfortable. I'm going to commit to working on these things. So the the problem is, is those things you just mentioned are tools for focus, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is that the, I don't trust the people who are using the tools for focus. So if, if, if someone's saying you have to stay in this room, you can't leave till it's break time, you can't be on your phone, you can't eat when you need to, I'd be like, fuck you, I'm my own person. I'm not doing this shit that's me now, right? Like mm-hmm. I would never ever put myself through that again. Yeah. But I was, I've been on the other side as a coach where I'm leading a five day and someone's like, you know, an hour into a two hour class, I really need to eat because I'm hypoglycemic. And I'm like, do you really though? Or is it because we're talking about money? <laughs> you know, like yeah. I was that person to be like, don't leave because you're just stuffing your issues down with, with food. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, like, it, it's, a, these are great questions. I think it depends on who's helping you and do you trust them? And is it, for, is it for your best interest? But yeah. if you're, if you're in a group and you're not sure if it's a cult and you're having red flags, those are all things controlling, mm. 
controlling your food, controlling the environment, controlling when you leave, controlling when you sleep, controlling your behavior, and also making you feel shitty if you don't follow along like everybody else, that's making you a sheep. That's a problem. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah. So before we hit record, you and I were talking about sort of this point of diminishing returns that tends to take place. Because I agree with you. I think that there is a lot of good that has come from my own personal development efforts. But I also realized there was a point at which, you know, it started to become personal development for the sake of personal development, not for why I went there in the first place. So, I, you know, I started writing this section of a book saying that usually it becomes the end rather than the means. You know, in Costa Rica, there's a joke that, you know, they have really bad roads there. And so there are potholes everywhere. And 100 yards down the road from the pothole is the guy who fixes tires. And so they joke that he's the one who actually created the pothole. And mm-hmm. I feel like often what I've seen is that personal development, when people get into it, it starts to reveal problems they didn't know they had or didn't even care to solve. And suddenly yes. there's something else to sell them to solve that solution. Yes. Uh, so one, for you, where were the cracks in the fund? When did the cracks in the foundation start to occur? And, and what was that point of diminishing returns? Sure. And by the way, I didn't use the pothole example, but that I hope that was clear in my book as well, that that was, I think, the most deceptive thing that they did is create problems that didn't exist and then charge yeah. you to p- fix it. Does that seem right? Yeah, that's yeah. spot on. <laughs> okay, good. Because that was one of the messages I wanted to convey. And quick tangent, there was a class on that. Keith taught a class called Shifter Strategies, where he was he would show you how lawyers did that and the medical profession did that and big business and farm, big pharma did that. No one ever suspected that he was doing that. Isn't that wild? That is crazy. Yeah. And it's even happening right now where 
Um, it's like when, when you point out someone's process versus what they're saying, like there's a, you know, the handful of people who are still believers in Keith trying to say that my testimony has been inconsistent, therefore I'm lying. So everything mm. else isn't true. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Let's, let's just look at that. Like, let's say I'm making it all up. Like, what am I, what am I making it up for? Like, why would I make this up? Right. Or they're saying I do it. You, you, I made it up for a book deal. I can guarantee mm. you I'd much rather have not had the book deal had this not be true is <laughs> one thing. And I'm yeah. like, what about all the other women? Like mm. all they can do right now is try to dis- discredit me. It's a shifter strategy going, oh, Sarah is inconsistent in this point and this point versus going, what about the content that I'm showing you? What about what I'm trying to say here? Anyway, mm. I digress. Um, the question was about... Hitting that point of diminishing returns, like, you know, how did, like, when did the cracks in the foundation start to appear for you? So when did I start to wake up? Yeah. A number of things happened over the last couple of years. Um, You know, one, one thing is I had my baby, I had a baby in, in 2014 and that sort of shifted my priorities and I started to pull back. That's when they promoted me to green sash, which was the highest rank uh, that you could be at that time. Um, And so in other words, I had started to lose interest and then they gave me the thing I'd been trying to get to for four years. So I was hooked back in. And then um, there was, oh man, so many shitty things happened. I think I talked about this in the book where Keith created a new curriculum and a bunch of people, uh, my, almost like a third of my staff moved to Albany to be trained in this new curriculum. And I was just scrambling and then they would like raise, my, raise our prices. Like I didn't have control over the finances they raised our prices. So it almost doubled in Vancouver, which made it very difficult to, um, to build the membership. They just kept fucking me over and over again. And I didn't realize that's what it was. They was always, there was always a good reason for what they were doing. And also like, yeah. you know, like in any company, you overall, you're happy, but there's like, you know, some, somebody you don't like, or some policy that's kind of lame, but you, overlook it. And of course, as you know, I was invested. I had a center. My rent was about $7,000 a month. So I was just trying to go, go, go. In fact, I think I was so busy for so long that I couldn't even see that there were things that weren't working. But when I had had my baby, I was able to kind of pause and go, you know what, this is actually more important (laughs) than filling trainings and, you know, helping the world get more integrated. I just want to be with my family. But ultimately, um, you know, some other things started to happen. Um, I don't remember if this is in the book or not, but there was a moment where some people got promoted who hadn't hit the criteria. There's very specific measurable criteria for promotion. And I realized that Keith was just promoting people as he saw fit, as he did with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really just felt awful and shitty. And I was just like, well, what a, the, the stripe path is supposed to be measurable based on merit, not nepotism and other motives. And I just was like, you know, that, that, that really eroded my foundation, but I think I was already recognizing there were just certain things that the curriculum couldn't help with when I got invited into DOS, when I got invited to the women's group. So that was sort of like their last ditch thing to keep me hooked in. And then, you know, a series of things happened after that where I I woke up, obviously. But Mm -hmm. um, I was already disenchanted, disenfranchised, disillusioned, disillusioned with the company in many ways. But I never thought that I would leave. I just thought maybe we could fix it or, you know, certain things had to be addressed, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you say in the book, uh, in the chapter, chapter titled Effort Strategies, is that bringing new people into this company and inspiring them to stick with their personal growth had become my purpose. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what's fascinating to me, it just goes back to that whole idea of that self-improvement becomes the end rather than the means. And mm-hmm. I wonder, looking back on this now and reflecting on it, you know, do you feel conflicted about the fact that you did this and, and you persuaded so many people to to come into this? I mean, I, I have in the past and, you know, obviously I've carried a lot of guilt for that um, through lots of therapy and it's been almost coming up on four years now. I, I've really had to own and embrace the fact that I truly thought I was doing something good for them. Mm, and yeah if I had known where that was leading and, and, and what was going on in Albany, obviously I wouldn't have done that. And, um, you know, I still, I, I feel responsible is why I keep talking, why I wrote a book, why we're doing the podcast to clean up that mess. But I had to let go of the guilt because it didn't serve me or anybody like feeling bad about something that I didn't know about. Isn't, doesn't help me. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't help anybody, but, um, action and helping people take action in terms of getting therapy and being a part of a lawsuit and helping people get their money back. Like I can do those things without harboring bad feelings towards myself because the challenge is, is that that's also what Keith did is he made people feel shitty about themselves. So if I continue to do that, then I think he wins. I rather mm -hmm. like be happy with my life and feel good about my choices now with the information I have and be solid in that because then I went and he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about uh, leaving mm -hmm. because this is another thing that I have seen sort of as a, as a common thread uh, is that people are, are really sort of um, almost ostracized by the communities that they're part of when they choose to leave, especially communities like this. I see it, you know, I, I saw it when I, I read the books about Scientology and even reading Tony Natalie's memoir, I, I was shocked at how difficult they make people's lives when they leave. Yes. Uh, so, you know, one for first, before we get into leaving, like this will probably make a perfect segue to leaving, but like, how do people recognize that they've reached a point of diminishing returns? Cause I feel like by the time people figure it out often, it's so late, you know, like I said, with my, you know, I was telling you before you record, it took six years for my friends and I to get the hell out of the seduction community and realize this is adding nothing to our lives. None of us are any better off with our dating lives than we were before we joined this thing. Mm-hmm. How do they figure that out? I mean, I, I think for most people that I've talked to anyway, it's usually not one thing. Like, you know, for me getting branded, for example, wasn't, didn't actually wake me up. It was weeks later when I figured out the symbol of the brand and what it meant. That's what woke me up. But it was one of the many, it was, it was cumulative. So I think it's, it's hard because people don't wake up while the, the good stuff will outweighs the bad until the bad outweighs the good. And I think people could save themselves a lot of time if they're willing to look at the bad sooner. Yeah. You know, and, and then go, okay, why, why am I not? Like I, I had an experience, I think this is in the book, um, where my a friend of the family, Pepe, sat me down, asked me to look at all the bad press. And I was like, that's all the smear campaign. Everything that's been mm -hmm. written about Keith is a smear campaign. And he said to me, that's not how the media works. They can't completely fabricate everything. Even to, if 10% of these allegations are true, wouldn't that be concerning to you? And that planted a seed. And then also I was trying to show him all the good we were doing, specifically that Nexium was curing Tourette's. And I showed him this video of, of somebody named Mark Elliott and his overcoming Tourette's. And he wouldn't watch the video. And I said, you see, Pepe, you're not willing to look at the good. He said, of course there's good. Why would you do it? I'm asking you to look at the bad. Mm -hmm. So people aren't willing to look at those things because it, it means that their decision-making is wrong. It means that they maybe made a mistake or like in my case, you know, am I a bad person that I brought so many people into something that actually was bad? You have to look at those things. And if some, if you're not willing to, then there's a blind spot. So I think, you know, people wake up when they're ready to wake up and when the, the data is strong enough that they can't deny it or they have their own experience with some inconsistency. There's some people that left a year after I left because they hadn't been branded and they weren't like, they were like, there's no way that that could have happened. Or if they did, it must have been a good thing, like a tattoo or, you know, what sorority girls do to like bond together. Why is that bad? And they didn't even wake up with that. They didn't wake up even though I said, hey, I've been hurt. I didn't agree to this. I didn't agree to have Keith's initials on my body. But then they'd have their own inconsistent, like a number of people from Mexico who weren't part of it, had their own experience where Keith lied to their face. And Keith is, you know, he, he, He's supposed to be the most ethical, honest man in the world. That was enough to wake them up. Yeah. Or um, Keith father, fathered a baby <clears throat> with somebody after I left. And for years, we'd been told he'd been celibate. So like, that's a huge inconsistency. You know, and, and some people woke up then, not because I got branded, but because Keith, Keith, because Keith became a father. You know what I mean? Mm. So like, there has to be something that makes you go, whoa, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember even with the branding, you kind of, you know, wrote about the fact that it was this moment of wondering what the hell you're doing. Like you felt uncomfortable about it. And from what I understand, there was a doctor in the room, yet they didn't use any anesthesia. And it was like incredibly painful. And yet somehow you still went through with it. Yep. Because I was gaslighting myself at that point. Yeah. I was saying, you know, women are weak. Women are looking for the back door. You said you do this. You can't not do it. Everyone's looking up to you. Like all the things that have been done to me, I did to myself. That's when gaslighting really works. 
re, or you know the indoctrination or Yanya Lalish called expert calls it resocialization. Yeah. I was doing it to myself. Yeah. So when you the thing I think that struck me most was the whole idea of collateral. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw that, and I, I just couldn't believe that somebody could convince people to do this and then have that hanging over them. Uh, what in the world made you say, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm on board. And, um, you know, you know, going back to the idea of leaving, like, what is it that makes it so difficult for people to leave? I mean, obviously there's the lawsuits and the, the sort of, you know, legal actions that seem to really, you know, prevent people from speaking out the way that you have. Mm-hmm. Ironically, there was a woman who contacted me after this all came out publicly and she had left over a decade ago, I believe. And she said, and she was part of Keith's harem at that time. And she said, my life, the way that it was when I was in Nexium, was exactly how you described DOS. It just wasn't described, wasn't called DOS. He had taken nude photos of her. She was at his beck and call, had to be there at any time of day, respond to his, her phone on restricted calories, all of the things. So as Keith got more aware that people were going, going to leave and could leave and weren't dependent as dependent as he had hoped, he formalized this dependency through DOS and began to teach us through another, again, slow indoctrination of the concept of collateral. Collateral is part of our community since 2012, where people wow. started putting collateral down as a weight for their word. You know, like you can't just go get money for a house. You have to put collateral down. Okay, here's, here's my, you know, car against the, the weight of the, of the loan for the money for the, you know what I mean? That's what collateral is for. But he started to use it for people to build their own word. And this is actually huge in Landmark, right? Inner word, your, you know, your, um, uh, you know, your belief in yourself. If I say I'm going to go to the gym, if I don't go to the gym, my inner word starts to crumble. So say I'm going to put $100 down as collateral. And if I don't go to the gym, that $100 is going to charity or my friend Bob or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that collateral starts to get more and more extreme. So when people say like, why would you even give you know, a nude photo to begin with. It was part of the vernacular at that point. And yeah. also my best friend is asking for it. Somebody I trust. I didn't think it was going to Keith for his personal collection. Speaking of your best friend, uh, one of the things I wonder, you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that your parents were wary right from the start. And I, I remember even watching the documentary. It seems basically like your whole social social circle was just other Nexium people at a certain point. Like you're in this bubble of nothing but Nexium people. So what has been the impact of the relationships uh, in your life as a byproduct of this, both outside of Nexium and inside of Nexium? Definitely, there's been a lot of challenges in that, in that regard. Um, I lost it. I mean, I lost the community immediately anyone especially in albany um and also especially if we never spoke and they never heard my side of the story and we still haven't spoken and maybe some of those people will reconcile with one day i'd say my true friends the friends many of whom i was friends with before nexium are still close are still my close friends and they are um good friends of mine and have been through me, they have been with me through the worst of the worst time of my life. So in many ways we're stronger. It's just a much smaller group. <laughs> yeah. And what about parents? And I mean, I know you have said you, you have kids, like how does this end up impacting, you know, your relationship with family members? I mean, my family generally is very happy that I'm out. There's some family members who didn't understand it when I was in and don't care to understand that now that I've got out and it's been challenging, to be honest. Like, it's just a real rupture in that cloth, <laughs> um, in that fabric. So I would say in some cases closer, in some cases worse. There's still damage to be repaired. Our kids seem great. I think they're really happy to have their parents around and to get all the attention that they, or at least I didn't, I, I had the second one after leaving, but uh, Troy was three when we left. And I think mm-hmm. he's... I think he's fine. I mean, he there he may have some memories of, you know, mommy and daddy being really stressed out for a couple of years, but I think we've maybe perhaps even overcompensated <laughs> on the other side and we're really focused on our family and on healing and doing fun things together and educating them and overall I'd say they're th- I think we're all thriving. Yeah. 
Well, having gone through what you have, uh, when people are looking at personal development, you know, things like Tony Robbins, because I, I, you know, to me, in my mind, it's like comparing Tony Robbins to Keith Raniere seems far-fetched. And at the same time, I feel like a lot of the same tactics are being used in a Tony Robbins seminar. What, what would be your, your message to them when they start to look at this stuff? Like, what do you want them to know that they're overlooking when they start on this journey? I mean, I, I, somebody said to me once as I was leaving and trying to make that distinction myself, and, and this is something I, I, I'll pass on for sure, is that, you know, if you can take a course and put the tools into your life, that's one thing. But when you make the tools your life and you b- devote your life to a particular particular methodology or doctrine or system or organization, that's when it becomes problematic. And unfortunately, it's it's hard to if you really throw yourself in and you're open to one of these seminars, you can be hooked for the latter thing to happen. So even if you say, okay, I'm just going to do this curriculum, but you're right. After five days when you're in a peak state and someone's saying, okay, but for only $5,000 more, you can have everything you want. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you're on, you're on the train and there's no looking back. Um, I would say in general, you can, you can get a lot of stuff from books. (laughs) You get a lot of stuff from, I mean, Listen to some books and surround yourself with people who are positive and doing good things or, you know, maybe find a mentor in a field that you want to excel in. But my husband just piped in from the kitchen. Don't sleep with them. Definitely do not <laughs> sleep with the leader. That's definitely, I mean, unless you're, that's what you're signing up for. Like you're signing up for yeah. like, um, because that's ultimately what Keith was doing was unlicensed sex therapy. That's mm. what he was doing. At the core, not for me, thank goodness. But like that's that's what the end game was: is helping people through their issues through sex. Mm. So um, don't do that, and um, and do your research. Do do your research. Talk to people who are unhappy with the organization. Find out why. But ultimately, mm. I don't think you need it. Well, it, it's funny you say that because when people ask me about Landmark, my message to them is always: do the first two courses, then get the fuck out of there and don't go anywhere near the place. Yeah, I mean, I haven't done it, so I can't. T- I can't say that, but um, I would have. I might have said that about the five day, like do the five day and move on. But I do think that there's things interwoven with the good stuff in the five day that can be detrimental for the long run. So mm. I, I, I wouldn't say that about Nexium anymore. I would yeah. say there's a couple classes and tools that I refer to, but they're not from Keith. They're, I just had, I had to figure out where he he got them from originally. Yeah. So yeah. two final sort of yes. questions. One is just an observation. Uh, you know, we had Raquel and Ross here and, you know, people may have already heard this or so we'll hear it soon. Mm-hmm. One of the things that struck me most about my conversation with him uh, was that he said, when you look at these personal development organizations to date, nobody has conducted a large scale properly, you know, done with a scientific method research study to test the effectiveness of any of it, of this. Almost all of it is anecdotal evidence. Right. So what is your view on that? In terms of like the... The, the, the results the, that people get from doing all this stuff. Like, you oh. Know, it's like, oh, go to Tony Robbins, make more money. And he said almost all the evidence is anecdotal, but nobody has actually done a large scale study where they actually looked at the results that people have produced over the course yes. of their lives and looked at how their lives have changed, you know, five, six years from now. Yeah, I, I would say that... I mean, ironically, we said that we were doing that. We had these before and after surveys that we were told were being monitored by a third party to test our our growth, measure our growth. But we found out later they never left the building. He's like mm. epically long forms, personality surveys. Um, yeah, I think that's probably... I mean, Rick Ross would know that better than I would. I think that's probably true. No one's... These claims are based in you know, what the company wants you to think. Unfortunately, it'd be great to get peer reviewed and maybe then some of them could have validity until then. It's a bunch of hogwash. (laughs) As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm really excited about something totally new called an airspace that gives you an opportunity to participate in the show and ask your questions. All you have to do is submit a question and either a guest or I reply, you'll get an email letting you know. And all you have to do is go to unmistakablecreative.com slash participate. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash participate. Awesome. Well, this has been really cool and eye-opening. So I have one final question for you, yes, which is how question. we finish all of our uh, interviews, the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Uh, hmm. I think it's what is authentic and unique about them when someone's like truly in in themselves without layers of facade or 
bullshit and whoever they are and what, what makes them shine is unmistakable. Amazing. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your wisdom and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work and everything that you're up to? Oh, thank you. Thanks for taking the time. These are great questions. And I, I love talking about this stuff. Um, uh, Instagram, I'm at Sarah Edmondson, E-D-M-O-N-D-S-O-N. Website is sarahedmondson.com. Um, Nippy and I have our new podcast, A Little Bit Culty, and that is on Instagram and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And also, if anyone's listening and wants to be part of a recovery movement, igotout.org is an excellent organization helping people to tell their stories and blow the shame um, off the stigma around cultic abuse. So that's something I'm really passionate about as well. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming. Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.